we had just launched one SKU on Amazon. I went from that to being nationally distributed in 2,800 supermarkets. Welcome to Food Marketing Nerds, your weekly serving of marketing advice and industry insights with the smartest minds in the business. Here's your host, Alex Osterley. What is up, everybody? Today, we're sitting down with Carrie Carlson, founder and president of not one, but two companies, Tundalea and Coconut Cloud. Carrie has been in the industry for a majority of her career, first founding Tundalea in 2003, which manufactures dried goods and teas for private label and food service companies. With the infrastructure of Tundalea and 15 years worth of food experience, Carrie launched her own line of plant-based coffee creamers under the Coconut Cloud brand. Carrie's previous experience with Tundalea helped in building a successful food brand, but she encountered plenty of challenges unique to marketing a product line, which we discuss, along with how she continues to tackle those challenges today. In this episode, you'll learn how to better leverage your Amazon data to inform your innovation, what signs indicate new products are gaining traction, how to run a food brand with a remote workforce, and a lot more. So let's go hang with Carrie. Gary, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about yourself. So I have been an entrepreneur for about 18 years, but I have been in the food business for much longer than that. I actually cut my teeth on food manufacturing, working for a tea company for 10 years, where I was responsible for building tea lines for little companies like Starbucks back in the day and traveled around the world sourcing tea ingredients and really understanding how things are made and um, understanding the tea manufacturing process. And I learned it actually souped nuts, uh, everything from product design to manufacturing to packaging design to printing. I did it all. And then I left to do my own thing back in 2003. And I started a company called Tundalea, which specializes in private label manufacturing. So I develop products for supermarket chains, specialty retail, I come up with ideas and I'm mostly in dried goods. So I actually do still do some tea items, but I, when I started Tendelay, it was really more focused on spices and developed lines of products at the time, 17 years ago, there were no spice products on the market where you had the built-in grinder and the spice lid. And I had seen one brought back from South Africa. I'm like, wow, this is super cool. I want to do this. And so I built a supply chain system for myself out of Indonesia and found lids out of South Africa at the time. I now get out of Taiwan and started producing. And through my contacts, I actually was able to have a small production facility in Indonesia that was built on a handshake. It's actually a really amazing moment for me when I was with my manufacturing partner way back when, and I think it was 2004. And he turned to me and said, Hey, do you want to go out and see your facility? And I'm like, almost like tears in my eyes. I'm like, yes. And there it was, Tundalea. So started producing and I've been in the food business ever since. So generally speaking, when it comes to manufacturing of dry goods, what are some of the most important things to keep in mind? Well, dry goods actually are, are incredibly um, adaptable. So actually, I think if you're going to start something in the food business, being in the dry goods business is a good place to start because you have a longer shelf life. Got tons of flexibility. I am doing custom blends. I mean, I have another company called Coconut Cloud, and that is a line of creamers, cocos and lattes that are built on a proprietary coconut milk powder that I source out of overseas. It's made custom for me and it gives you a lot of variability and you're able to be super creative with dry goods. There's a lot of bonuses. There are you know, lots of people in the food space that have refrigerated items, shorter shelf life. And thankfully, most of my items actually have a two-year shelf life. So it gives me more options. With Coconut Cloud specifically, I know there are a lot of milk alternatives out there, probably more so now than ever before. So what separates Coconut Cloud and what makes you guys better than the rest of the milk alternatives out there? So 
there aren't too many of us in the dried space. There are a number of other players out there. What we offer by um, producing high quality premium beverages in the non-dairy space is that they're both portable and they're a longer shelf life. So I, I agree, liquid is fantastic, but you can't bring it on a plane with you when you're having your cup of coffee. By using a finely milled coconut milk powder as the base for all of my blends, it allows somebody flexibility to travel with it, which is where it came from in the first place. It was my own desire. Um, Back in 2014, I decided to go dairy-free for health reasons. And I was frustrated with the choices I was getting while I was traveling, while I was on an airplane, in a hotel, etc. So I'm like, I can't believe nobody's doing a better-for-you coffee mate-like alternative. And I put my skills and experience together and talked to suppliers all around the world. Coconut milk powder is a fantastic base for non-dairy beverages because it provides nutritional value. It adds a creaminess in the cup. It has um, all the good fats that you want for brain power. And so we feel like coconut milk powder is a superior ingredient as a base for non-dairy beverages. So before the, the this interview, we were talking a little bit about Coconut Cloud and you mentioned that you had to scale up extremely quickly, kind of the reverse situation of what most startup food brands have to experience when they're first starting out. Can you talk to us about that story a little bit? Absolutely. So when I was developing this product, I got introduced to a very large national supermarket chain that was looking for innovation and looking for new products. And I secured that business before I was national with my own brand. And so I went from literally shipping in a pallet of coconut cloud product into Amazon to the notion of being able to supply um, 2,800 supermarkets nationally with four SKUs. So thankfully, and then back to my point about dried goods, um, dry beverages are just in the manufacturing world, it's just a little bit easier to make. A lot of, a lot thing, less things to go wrong. So, but what I had to do is secure enough raw material to support the launch. We were unsure. It was an absolutely brand new product. Nobody had ever seen a natural coffee meat before. So that was launched in 2017 nationally. I had my team were able to work with this very large retailers, quality control team and supply chain management. It took a lot of work and effort, but we learned a lot and I went for it and it worked out. So at that point, what did you have set up for the, the brand? Did you have the, the marketing assets or the, the brand design or packaging design at that point? We had just launched, I want to say, one SKU on Amazon. So it was our original creamer in a 8-ounce package on Amazon. I went from that to being nationally distributed in 2,800 supermarkets using and using third-party logistics because you know large retailers do want to buy. They don't like longer lead times. So I had to offer just-in-time delivery options for them. So that was building inventory and that all costs money, but it, it worked out in the end. We were able to get into a cadence through some forecasting of what would be expected of us. And I'm really proud of what I was able to achieve. And it's also proving the concept as well, as far as is there a market for a better for you dried creamer. And that's where Coconut Cloud started as a better for you dried creamer and has since expanded to better for you cocos, better for you lattes. We're about to launch a instant coffee product called Happy Brain Coffee, which is a blend of high quality instant coffee, my coconut milk powder and MCT oil powder. So it's an on-the-go blend that delivers all the good fats for brain health. And think of it kind of like a vegan bulletproof coffee. So you get this 
massive increase in, in distributions almost overnight. I guess what was that first sign that, okay, this is selling through. We're getting, this is, looks like it could be a, a long-term thing. Probably data from the retailer. And as we were selling through product and we were exceeding some of our original forecasts, so that gave me data that there is a market there. And I'm, I'm a huge believer in plant-based. I believe, and I'm a huge believer in dairy-free. And so I believe dairy-free has the potential of being as large as gluten-free is. I happen to be both myself. So I'm a huge proponent of that. So it's convincing some of these older, larger chains that plant-based is the way to go. And I, and I think we've seen a lot of change over the last couple of years. And when you see companies like Impossible Meat and being able to supply a product that tastes very similar to the real thing, yet it's not made from any animal protein. I just think there's just so many opportunities there. So at this point, you've got several different lines underneath the brand, but obviously that took some time to build up to. What were some of the unforeseen challenges that came with having to scale up that quickly? So I think I'm a pivoter and I use data. So I think as we talked about the other day on the phone, you know, use Amazon as a way to get information. Some of the challenges is that we found some consumers felt that they didn't like the appearance of it wasn't light enough in the cup with our creamer product. So we had to make some tweaks to our formulas and we're constantly doing that. We're constantly pivoting to make sure that we are delivering the best possible product. I would say that would be a challenge for me. Supply has been, I've had one period where we had a delay on an ingredient and when you're out of stock on Amazon, you just never want to be in that position. When I launched my cocoa in the fall of 2018, it sold so well that I was ranking. Here I was, Coconut Cloud, and there are probably about 200 cocos on Amazon. I think I was ranked at about 25 after being on the platform for about a month, right next to Starbucks, right next to Giardelli Coco. And I sold out numerous times during that October, November, December. And it's a good news, bad good news. It's selling better than you thought it would. Bad news is how quickly can you get it back? So before the interview, you mentioned using Amazon as not just a sales tool, but also for the data that it provides in uh, the sales and kind of getting proof of concept on new products. Can you talk to that at all? Sure. I would say we were surprised, for instance, just how well-received our cocos were doing. And so this is now pushing me to develop different pack sizes and different flavors because many times on Amazon, I mean, what's wonderful about Amazon is you can see your order value at any given time. And many times my customers are buying more than one item. And so our hope is to, if you're a cocoa lover, that you will try not just one flavor, but you'll try two. And so we're, we're going to be coming out with a third flavor this year, a sea salt caramel, and capitalize on the growth within that category, which is a cleaner, better for you cocoa item. It's not filled with sugar. So that, for instance, that's been a wonderful knowing that cocoa was super hot. And we now, we launched a chai last fall. And it took us a while to get noticed. There are hundreds of ties on Amazon. And which actually, I'll tell you just another little tidbit about just some of the challenges too. And something that I didn't think through. But with our chai, we have slowly but surely through positive reviews, we, are, we have moved our ranking from, I want to say, 200 to maybe 30. And uh, I don't know what it is today. I can always look but it takes time and you, and you have to figure out through advertising and how much money you're going to spend on advertising and, and what's your keywords that you're targeting. Um, but sometimes it does take a while to get into that algorithm. 
Um, one place that I actually made a mistake is I have a wonderful matcha green tea latte, but I really did not properly assess the competition in advance of launching that. There are hundreds and hundreds of matchas. And so to get noticed is difficult. And so I just assumed that, you know, I, that it was going to flow the same types of volumes as my creamers, but it didn't until, and to this day, it's probably our highest rated item, but it's very difficult to get noticed just because of competition. So when you say assessing the opportunity, is that more looking at how many competitors are selling a similar product or? Yeah. And, and, and all of them in different formats. Mine's a completed latte mix. So it's actually matcha green tea plus my coconut creamer powder. Many are just, just matcha that you would then add to your own dairy-free milk or milk or whatever you're using. So mine's a complete mix. But what's interesting is that we're finding people have found us on Amazon, which has helped us grow our food service side of our business. For instance, we were noticing the University of Georgia was buying 50 bags of chai at a time. We're like, huh, what's going on at University of Georgia? So we actually reached out to them and they were using our chai in their hot beverage equipment. And so we now have established them as a wholesale account and they are carrying both our chai and one of our hot cocos. It's done great because they have a dairy-free coffee bar at one of their student restaurants. So that's been a, it's been a way, Amazon's been a way for us to find new food service accounts. You've got the chai, you've got the, the cocos. When you're formulating or developing a, a new product, what is it that can accuse that this is now is the right time to launch this line of cocos or this matcha? Well, I think as we talked about the other day on the phone, right now with the market being so up in the air, especially supermarkets and what's happening with how people are buying and their changing behaviors. For me right now, new items is, the, is my best chance for growth. And that's where I'm focusing all my energy because I've proven my concept through my on online presence I have trusted customers who are interested in what I'm doing. So I plan on introducing probably four or five new items this year. Whereas, you know, you always have to balance everything. Where are you going to spend your energy? Where are you going to spend your time? Now, based on what's going on in the world, I am absolutely focused on new product development. And I want to get it done as quickly as possible. And thankfully, I'm, you know, I'm a small organization. I work with a manufacturing partner in Denver that has an R&D team. And so we work together to put together our formulations. And because they're a more boutique manufacturer, I'm able to get quick turnaround times. And so from start to finish, I really can get a product up and rolling, I'd say under two months. And I have a fantastic graphic designer who works so quickly and beautifully. And like we just posted some images on my Facebook and Instagram accounts to get some of our followers, which do you, because we had two color palettes that we were looking at. And so we got people to vote on which they like better. And we take their comments really seriously. With your background with Tundalaya, you've got manufacturing lockdown, and then you go on to launch Coconut Cloud and are branching off with a brand of your own. What were some of the challenges of growing a brand versus kind of independent of the manufacturing that you weren't foreseeing? So you think about manufacturing, your entire goal at all times is to keep your cost of goods sold as low as possible. So what that means is you're shopping around for the best, the lowest price on your couch, your ingredients, you are being as efficient as possible. So I have spent most of my career with that level of discipline, with that level of fiscal responsibility to the bottom line relative to what it costs to make things. When you launch a brand, you throw that all away because it's all about spending money and not saving money. So that has been a really 
real challenge for me because I am a linear thinker. I like to make things. I know how to make things really well. And I put all my time and energy into something and I have a finished it. When you set up a marketing program and you put it out to cyberspace and you've committed X amount of funds to it, but you don't get a return that's obvious... That's challenging for me because I'm not getting data to say this is a good investment of your funds. So it's been a challenge for me to um, I've absolutely bootstrap this brand. And through that, with small brands, it's all about exposure. And it's all about finding creative ways to get it in front of other people and get more eyeballs on it. So you have to be prepared to have those budgets up and running. And because of my experience, it hasn't grown for me naturally. What channels or tactics, campaigns, what have you, have you found to be the most successful in in getting new eyeballs on the product and getting the brand out there? We have an entire budget that's devoted to giving away samples. So for instance, there was a vegan cruise in February, but we were a sponsor of that. And so it was 2000 vegans who decided to get together and go on this cruise together. So we were the coffee at the coffee bars and we were in all their gift bags. And that's a way for us to, not at a huge cost to us, grow exposure for our brand. We, uh, as we talked about the other day, I have enjoyed Instagram, I believe has been successful for us. But back to my comment before about your return on your investment, it's just unclear. You know, what does, I think we've got 13.3 thousand followers. What does that mean? Does that mean these are, these are necessarily 13,000 customers? These are people that like what we're doing and maybe they're in the vegan space. But we have found by collaborating with other like-minded brands through Instagram, we've been able to grow our follower base and find new and different ways to show how the product can be used. And I think we've done a really nice job on our Instagram. We don't use Facebook as often, quite honestly. And another area that's been, at least social media-wise, that has been helpful for us is actually Pinterest. You can use our products and recipes. and People turn to Pinterest for food ideas. So that's been another place where we get a lot of referrals from Pinterest to our website. As the person who is overseeing the the budget, is it a, a gut feel that this is working, although we don't have the exact data that's needed to... To prove it? I would say it's more of a gut feel for Instagram. And, you know, in other areas where we're spending marketing dollars or promotional dollars is through scan downs at supermarket chains. And that that is a direct correlation. You get you get to know right away how many people redeemed your dollar off or your $2 off shopping in public. So that's been successful for us to get. Many shoppers just shop things that are on sale. So you get their attention. I mean, you walk down a supermarket aisle, it's extremely busy. There are so many things to look at. And I think we are all time crunched just in general. So we have found that scan downs have been very helpful for us, especially during the winter months, which are traditional hot beverage consumer months. We do see our our sales soften through the summer, but we are going to be coming out with a line of frozen coffee drinks that use our coconut milk powder as the base. Frappuccino made with coconut cloud at home since we're all at home. So we're excited about, we're excited about that. And we're also excited. So many, many of the items that we are producing for retail and consumer use have applications for food service. But food service right now, I will, you know, it's, it is a bit on hold as we all wait and see our university is going to open in September. And obviously there are lots of places that are still serving foods, but because of safety concerns, whether it's hospitals or universities, et cetera, typically they would be a great market for our bulk 
program that we offer. In your experience, do you find that food service clients beget more direct-to-consumer clients or vice versa? I think they totally beget more. With everyone, it, with being able to buy something on your phone with a click, absolutely. I think it just grows your market, especially if you have a, a food service partner that's willing to co-brand with you. So for instance, at the University of Georgia, it's Coconut Cloud emblem on the equipment. So we're able to promote that way through our food service accounts. Another interesting thing about your company and the way that you're set up is everything is completely remote. How did you go about setting up and how do you manage the shipping and order fulfillment with everyone being remote? Well, I will tell you that I very purposely had when I first started my business way back when with Tundalea and then moving out to Coconut Cloud, my goal was to never touch anything and do everything virtually. Since then, I, I do still have a, I have a warehouse. I have to have a warehouse for Coconut Cloud. But for my private label business, I don't. So it's actually not very difficult to run a business from home or you're on the road. Whether it's R&D development, samples are sent to me for testing. Um, but I saw my, my R&D lab is down in Denver. So that's very easy for me to get to. For Amazon, what we do is we use fulfillment by Amazon. So we produce products and then we ship it and store it at Amazon. So under that scenario, you're actually selling on consignment. You don't get paid until it's actually shipped from Amazon. But Amazon does a very good job of helping you forecast and telling you what they think you need to get through a certain time period so that you're not out of stock. And because I come from a background of food manufacturing, I know how to do that really well. I know what it takes, how long it takes to do anything relative to my manufacturing. So I'm, I'm probably a little bit different than some other small food companies in that I know every step of the process. So I have a lot of knowledge and experience on how to make everything. And then I've had to learn how to sell it. What are some of the, the biggest learnings, I guess, between the difference between Amazon and increasing your, your volume through your distributors? Are there different approaches? What would you say are the biggest differences? It hasn't been difficult to sell into retail. And that's mainly because many retailers now, just recently over the last couple of years, have been tasked to find more plant-based foods. So knowing that it's successful on Amazon has helped. I established online first, then private label. I'm about to launch another private label program with an East Coast manufacturer in about two months. And we're, we've switched up the packaging a little bit and it's centered down in the Southeast. Once we start seeing turns there, it will give them more confidence to expand into other items once they know that the demand is there. So I would say I've used my experience and my numbers from Amazon to help me get into retailers. Selling into, into grocery stores is tough. Even this private label customer who I'm about to launch soon. I met him two years ago at a trade show. And he said to me, this is the best thing that I'm seeing here. It's a small format. It's called ECRM. So ECRM does something a little bit different. They do like a three-day event in the city and they guarantee you one-on-one 15-minute meetings with a whole series of buyers. And it sounds like you... And you pay for it. You pay to have that luxury. But what's good about it is that for a buyer, he can go to a show. And this one happened to be in Chicago and it was coffee and tea. This was a coffee and tea buyer. And... There are probably, let's say, 30 or 40 vendors. He can vary specifically, I need this, I need that, I need this, I need that. And so you know that there's intent to purchase. We did this two years ago. And he's like, I think this is the best thing that I've seen here. And we originally were going to do it as branded, but we ended up getting a sales call. And we talked about private label as another way of getting in to test the concept there. And, and also this particular retailer has extremely high slotting fees. So it took me a year. So what we did 
is we photoshopped pictures of our product in his grocery bags. So we kept sending him images of here's what it would look like as a consumer, like walking out of a store. We photoshopped an image as if we were standing in front of their supermarket. We just came up with all sorts of different, somebody having a cup of coffee with his supermarket in the background. We did all sorts of things and we didn't give up. And the guy finally took a meeting with us and we're launching in two months. You mentioned you've got the Happy Brain Coffee coming out soon, particularly on Amazon. Where did the inspiration for that product come from? That came from my own desire to come up with an instant bulletproof coffee that was dairy-free. And I've actually had it in the hopper there for a while because I've been following the bulletproof lifestyle. So for me, I wanted a dairy-free version, but giving the same type of nutritional benefits. And I've been able to achieve that through both the coconut milk powder and MCT oil powder. So it has the same type of effect. I will say, you know, this, I don't know if I don't think I'm narcissistic, but like all of my products are basically things that I'm looking for and I'm thinking are missing in the market. And just like my inspiration for the creamer was because I just couldn't find one, a better for you creamer that was portable. I couldn't find a better for you cocoa that was low sugar and didn't have lots of added gunk in it. I couldn't find a chai or a, we also have a turmeric ginger latte golden mix. So it all came out of my own desire. Awesome to hear. And uh, this has been a really insightful interview. And I'd love to to hear about your experience and the different learnings you've had through the process of scaling up really quickly. And then also taking your knowledge in manufacturing and applying it to a new and unique personal challenge of, of actually growing a brand successfully, I might add. So I have a two final questions that we ask all of our guests. And uh, I know you mentioned that you don't typically read business books, but I was going to ask this question anyways, given everyone pays attention or gets their information from different sources. So curious, if you don't have a, a go-to book that you think of as, here's what really impacted my perspective on marketing, I guess, where do you get your inspiration or knowledge about the market and the industry? So I would say that I actually follow a lot of news. So, and it's through, you know, especially food newsletters. I follow what other entrepreneurs are doing and I actually use the Wall Street Journal as a really good starting point for my day every day. Just I happen to be extremely attracted to business and I'm always looking, how do I build a better mousetrap? Because I think what you do in one industry versus another, there's things that cross over. I want to incorporate more technology into my business. As a matter of fact, I have a call tomorrow with how do I use artificial intelligence to run my advertising campaigns on Amazon. So I have a seller call tomorrow. I want, I want to do more of that. I want to find better ways to better understand people's buying patterns, etc. So I'd say for me, it would probably be news. I know I get, I get Nosh newsletter every day and I like what they're doing. And, you know, of course, magazines and Inc. Magazine, I love hearing entrepreneurial stories and how people got started and what they did. And I always find that incredibly interesting. Wrapping up with our final question, and you may have answered this earlier already, but if you could go back and give yourself as you're just entering your career a piece of advice that you've picked up through hard learnings or experience along the way, what, what would that be? I would say persistence pays off. I would say think big, because if you think big and you can prove your concept, kind of sky's the limit. I would say when it comes to a brand, 
you do need to think about raising capital because I did not make that choice. And that's a harder choice by doing that. I think if you raise capital and you then are not, I because I bootstrapped the brand, it's, it's just so much more difficult to compete with national brands who have such huge budgets. So I would say in the food space, be prepared to have a healthy budget would be my, would be my recommendation. But I would say persistence and think big, absolutely think big. And I think I mentioned this in my note to you, a lot of people have lots of ideas and like, I want to maybe, you just have to go for it. I know everything has been successful for me. I'm really fortunate. I, um, you know, I ran my numbers last night on just what my historical sales have been since I started the business. I was shocked. I'm like so incredibly proud of what I've been able to achieve. And, and if I can do it, anybody can do it. Well, Carrie Carlson, everybody. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and where can people find out more about what you have going on and your new product launches? Look to our website, coconutcloud.net. Please also check us out on our social media. You can please vote on our packaging and which color do you like better? And I'm pink or blue. Please check me out on Instagram. We'll be making new product announcements on social media and our website. Awesome. What are the social handles? At coconut.cloud on Instagram and Coconut Cloud for Facebook. And same thing with Pinterest. All right. Check them out, everybody. I know I already have and the pages are great. So I would highly recommend. Thank you. So appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. And it's it's been great to talk to you. Thank you, Alex. I really appreciate it. And that wraps up today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I will catch you all next week. Food Marketing Nerds is a production of Blue Bear Creative. For interview transcripts and other downloadable resources, head to foodmarketingnerds.com.